Master Plumbers Radio, bringing you all the stuff you won't learn in trade school. All right, well, welcome back, everybody, to part two of our uh, special edition of the Master Plumbers Radio podcast. Uh, we're joined here by uh, Dr. Izzy Smith, and um, I've listened to many people, read a lot of articles and all that sort of stuff where uh, people believe well-being is something different, I guess. Um, and although there's a lot of similarities in all those explanations, sometimes it can mean different things to different people. Um, so I guess we'll kick off by saying, what does well-being mean to you? Hello. Thanks for having me back. So I guess what's important to distinguish is that mental health and mental illness are not necessarily the same thing. So, you know, in that we all have physical health, we all also have mental health. So some days we feel better than others. Some days we're a bit shit. Sometimes something really bad might happen. We might lose our jobs. We have a breakup. Someone, you know, we love dies. Our mental health isn't going to be good at that time. That doesn't necessarily mean we have a mental illness. So, you know, mental illness can be, you know, you meet certain symptoms, diagnostic criteria to have depression, bipolar disorder, ADHD, you know, anxiety, whereas mental health is something we all have every day and it's normal for it to be kind of better or worse depending on what's going on in our life. I think well-being can be pretty much related to that, you know, mental health in that it's, you know, our state of, you know, well-being on a day-to-day basis. I think well-being has some different, you know, personal factors for different people. You know, what being well to you might be different to what being well means to me. Um, But it is, it's that more general well-being. It doesn't necessarily mean the absence of disease and it can be, you know, different to different people. And I've heard you speak before about referring to uh, well-being and, being on a spectrum. So you're always on a well-being spectrum. It's just how you're feeling at that time depends where you are in in relation to feeling 100% and feeling not so good. Yeah, I, this was a real game kind of changer for me having this visual and I'm a very visual learner. Thinking about mental health and well-being sitting on a spectrum from green, which is where we're really mentally healthy and well, First, it slides down to orange where there might be some warning signs. Maybe our sleep isn't very good. We're anxious. We're, you know, being a bit irritable and snappy, not getting on as well at work. And then you can go slide down further to red, which is crisis. And I'm really passionate about talking about self-awareness and recognising those orange signs so we can then take actionable steps to try and get ourselves back to the green before we end up hitting crisis point. And, and I, th- I think a lot of the hesitance, I guess you could say, of people sort of wanting to get into this is that people see, you know, there's a lot of stigma and that sort of stuff around mental health and we've separated this health and wellbeing podcast into two sections, but they're equally as important. And they're also very equally linked. We discussed on the previous episode that, this culture of not wanting to show weakness, not wanting to ask for help, not wanting to say anything's wrong is would be deemed mental health and kind of mental health related, but that translates to physical health. If we don't even want to tell someone that we're physically unwell, 
you know, that's also kind of mental health related. So they're very intrinsically linked. And if you feel like, you know, out of shit, you're depressed, you don't see the purpose of, you know, what's the point of me even being on the planet? You're not going to be wanting to eat your three veg and two fruit a day and do your physical activity and drink water than Coke. You know, you're going to have no motivation to be healthy. So for my patients, I say it's really negligent of me to give them a big lecture not that I lecture, but, you know, talk about this is what I want you to be doing. Let's talk about your diabetes without actually also addressing what's going on the mental health side of things. Similar to your physical health, the the topic of mental health can be broken down into a variety of different um, channels itself. I thought that we we rather than get bogged down in the the specifics of uh, what what, um, makes up mental health, we could look at a couple of things that contribute a lot um, to that. Um, the first one I, I've put down is um, lifestyle. So, what does lifestyle encompass, and why is it again? Why is it going to affect your mental health? Yeah, and this comes down to we all have mental health every day, and sometimes when we think about you know improving our mental health, we think about seeing you know, sitting in a psychologist's office and talking about our childhood traumas. Which, you know, I, don't get me wrong. You know, seeing I'm very pro mental health professionals. But the things we do every day impact our mental health as well. So they're the, you know, healthy behaviors. So getting enough sleep, getting, doing some physical activity, you know, drugs and alcohol, not good for our mental health. And then also, you know, even like I said, being self-aware of how you're feeling and acknowledging how you're feeling. When we talk about, you know, I'm really passionate about educating people on learning how to be self-aware because we're never going to have a system that, we have everyone sees a psychologist once a week. It's just not feasible. We need to learn how to check in with ourselves, tell ourselves, you know, what is my body and mind telling me right now and act on that and give it some emphasis. Cause if we just keep pushing those things to the side, we still feel like shit, but we haven't actually addressed why and taken, you know, actionable steps to make ourselves feel better. And you, you brought up something very um, important and it's, it's um, resonates with me specifically, which is about, learning about yourself. Like I, I've been on a, a health and wellbeing journey for the last couple of years, had some um, uh, health issues that have, have really forced my hand at being um, really needing to address some of these things. And something that I found really helpful was a book I read last year called The Resilience Project. Ah, by Hugh Van. Uh, <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> and something I strongly recommend to anyone listening and just simply because it's a great resource in understanding and some basic things in being able to manage um, your health and well-being. Uh, they talk about the the GEM principles, your, your G for gratitude, so paying attention to what you have and being grateful for that. Oh, especially not- in today's society with social media. Yeah. And, you know, I, I still look at people and can feel like utter shit about myself or look at people in medicine who have got more successful careers and it's just such a toxic culture of, these comparisons and yeah, exactly comparing what you can have, what you do have and what you can do rather than. Yeah. And, and from, from that, there's also, you know, you're looking at your E for empathy. So putting others in, uh, putting yourself in other shoes and seeing a situation through their eyes can help you a lot uh, in understanding different situations that you find yourself in. Um, Very, very good for work situations. Oh gosh, my brother's a tradie. I hear some stories of clients and deadlines and 
I, and I think often in conflict and, you know, I've been a junior doctor in hospitals and they're actually full of conflict. Just a reminder that people's reactions says much more about what's going on with them rather than you. And not saying that being a rude asshole is okay, but just remembering that that is reflection of their projecting whatever issue is going on in their life rather than it being about you. Yeah, so it's, there's a lot of understanding involved and someone like me, I'm, I'm approaching 40 and there's, there's you know, a lot of... Um, you mean the culture of how men communicate with each other or...? Oh, no, but just, just the way that you have acted for so long in your life, you have uh, taken somebody on face value and now you're giving yourself the perspective that, hey, you know, they are, act- as you just said, they are acting this way. as It's a reflection most of the time it's a reflection of what's happening in their day. They could have just had, you know, <laughs> something as simple as uh, slam the, their finger in the door or something like that. And it's just giving them a really shitty day and they're taking it out and the next person they talk to. And I think not taking things personally, it's, yeah, not taking it personally and being able to move past and not let that ruin your day. But sorry, I interrupted you before you could say the M of Hugh Van Gratitude okay. Journey. And the, the last one is M for mindfulness. So that's taking part in activities that help us be present in the moment and creating a feeling of calm. And I think if we look back in history, it's only been the last 200 years that we've even had light globes. In the past, we got up and worked when it was sunlight, slept during the day, and now we're connected to our phones 24-7. I'm no better than anyone, but we don't have any <laughs> any time to be present. And for me, you know, I go running, I don't listen to music, I leave my phone at home. And I think what Hugh's doing is great because he's making some really, I would say, quite quite basic mental health and, you know, positive psychology principles accessible to everyone. And it's really, you know, we don't learn these things at school and we actually do need to learn them because how can we be taught to be grateful, self-aware, learn to recognize how we're feeling, what that actually means. And, you know, that sounds a little bit wanky, but you actually do it without even thinking about it once it becomes a pattern for you. And I've also been on a little bit of a, I don't like the words mental health journey because that sounds bloody cliche. It makes me sound like I've gone to a yoga retreat in India. But, you know, I read books and I learned about basic psychology principles and gosh, I'm so much happier for it. And I think there's some amazing organizations now, you know, I'm involved with Pucker Up that are giving people, you know, actionable skills because it's all very well. And I'm not saying bad things about these charities, like, are you okay day or I don't know, other kind of what I would call a little bit tokenistic to say, yes, we need to raise more awareness about mental health, but what are we actually doing? Are we teaching people skills? Are we teaching people, you know, how to talk to other people if they're worried that they're struggling? And for young men, you know, it's tragic. We have, you know, the biggest killer of young guys is suicide and that is heartbreaking that these deaths could be prevented and we really need to educate all young people and people in general how to have these discussions because, they, you know, they shouldn't be so taboo and it's that taboo and the stigma that's sadly resulting in, you know, far too many guys struggling in silence and the absolute worst is, you know, losing a life over it. And something you just mentioned before about um, sharing basic uh, tools and strategies for, you know, helping this type of um, thought and action, That at the end of the day that's why they are becoming more successful. I spoke to in in the first season of um, the podcast, I spoke to Scott Pape about um, finance and one of the reasons why his stuff is so people 
are able to understand. Sorry, can you enlarge me who Scott Pape is? Uh, okay. <laughs> telling me how well known he is, and I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> Scott Pape is the um, the barefoot investor. Oh yeah, um, I've seen so the he's, book. he's written a couple of books that have that have kicked off, um, and I think their their appeal to a lot of people is because they're not shoving really um, uh, difficult to understand things in your face. It's it's because they're so basic is why they're so successful. I think a good example of that is the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. Um, I decided I was swearing too much on the previous episode, so I'm trying to turn it down this time. But, I know that one by Mark Manson. And he gave some really good principles. One is things happen in life that are not your fault, but and that's unfair, but then they do become your responsibility of how you handle them. And I had that discussion with my patients with type 1 diabetes almost every day because they've got this shit autoimmune disease that they did nothing to deserve, but they have to manage it every single day. And I think reframing our mind, and that's a principle that can be applied to everyday life because we're always going to have things that happen that are unfair. You know, for tradies, you have a boss with unrealistic expectations or a client that changed their mind of what they want and now they're blaming it on you or, you know, other things, you know, tools failing, crap happens. And accepting in life, we are going to have, downtimes we're going to have you know things that are unfair bad things happen and accepting that that is reality that's a side effect of being being human and being like okay I didn't deserve this but now it's my job to you know solve this problem and I think that's how we build resilience by having these hard times knowing they happen knowing we can get through them and along the way we develop these skills in resilience and problem solving and how to cope with adversity because we're all going to have adversity and these discussions around mental health, they're not about creating lives that don't have problems because that's never going to happen and it actually probably wouldn't be a very satisfying life. It's about getting the tools, like Hugh Van Berg is saying, you know, the gratitude, the empathy, the mindfulness to get through those tough times. So I've gone off on a bit of a, a tangent. No, that's, that's fine. Wherever the discussion takes us, that's fine. But um, it has taken us on to one of the points that I wanted to, to cover, which is uh, being able to develop resilience and, you know, being able to manage change. So at the rate in, in which the world is changing, is becoming, you know, more and more important for people to be able to, you know, move with the times and be agile is the, the buzzword there um, and be able to develop their own personal resilience for different situations. So a perfect example, COVID. COVID is as bad as it's ever been for most people across the world. Wherever you are, you've been affected. So um, I guess one of the good but bad things is There was that definitely <laughs> some silver linings from COVID and I think you're right, the yeah. – being forced into having to handle change and deal with adversity, but doing it in a way that everyone was doing it. So we felt comfortable to say, hey, I'm struggling. Hey, I need some help because we were all in that shitstorm together. But from that other side, we have developed some skills and learnings from it. I know from a personal perspective within um, the business here, it, it meant that it's it's forced us to bring forward a lot of plans that weren't met until a couple of years down the track, you know, adapting for technology and all of that sort of stuff. Like who, who heard of Zoom 18 months ago? <laughs> it's funny you said that I did a Movember speech to Zoom a couple of years ago and I was like, who was, who is this organisation? Something like Skype? Yeah, of course, I know them very well now. That's <laughs> nah, very good. And, you know, everyone's different in their behaviours and how they respond to the environment around them. Um, is there anything people can do that, can help them become better at adapting 
Because I've always thought that that type of thing, you know, your resilience is instilled into you at an early age. It's definitely not. Yeah, definitely not true. We build and learn resilience like other skills. I'm sure there is some individual you know, variability of how much we can cope with, but it's like a muscle that gets strengthened and built like anything else. And that's our, you know, our kind of mental strength. Um, so first the word resilience as someone who's been a junior doctor at times can bug me because I think junior doctors have very high, and I know this, sorry, this is not a medical podcast, but junior doctors have very high rates of mental illness and suicide. And, um, that's not very well known. And that's because of unsafe, unfair, unrealistic work expectations, And often this term of, you know, you just need to be more resilient is thrown, thrown around, but resilience occurs, you know, when you're through growth and stressful situations that you're supported, not being, you know, completely thrown into the deep end that you can't recover from. But when we talk about, you know, building resilience, as I said, accepting that life does have challenges and does have problems and that is a, you know, a consequence of being human and living in today's, you know, life, being able to look at, when you're in a tough situation, what is actually in front of you right now that is the problem and being able to, you know, break things down into what can I, what can I control, you know, and what do I have no control over? I think that's a really important skill of being able to look at a situation and know, okay, there's nothing that can be done about that. I'm not putting mental energy to it. What can I, what can I control? So that's one thing. Um, So looking what you can actually address then to, um, you know, asking for support and asking for help where you can get it. So, you know, being an outsourcer and being, you know, wise and aware of how will I get through this problem? You know, what is the most likely way for me to get through this problem and being able to outsource, use other people, get support and skills. Um, Going forward from that as well, knowing that I talk about mental resilience and mental strength is like anything else. You know, if we're trying to go to the gym and get bigger muscles, we put ourselves through a little bit of stress and then we recover. If we are constantly burning the candle at both ends, that's when we will crash and burn. So, you know, our mental ability to push harder, you know, can only go for so long it will break. So, you know, allow yourself time to recover and rest, you know, through these experiences. And also, as know, well, knowing when you're feeling overwhelmed, looking back at what you've got through in the past, you know, I still do that all the time as a doctor when I have, you know, a million different deadlines and, you know, bits and pieces I'm working on. And I just feel like this is too much. I can't do this. Going back to the times when I've also felt like that and, hey, I got through it. I survived. You know, I was actually more capable than I am now. I think being able to look back and gain the strength from those previous experiences is, you know, really beneficial. And relating that back to a, a trade environment where, you know, Sometimes you've got a lot of people around you. Sometimes you're in an environment where there's not a lot of other people you can talk to. So um, until you're able to, whether it's get the confidence to reach out to somebody and say, hey, I need a little bit of assistance, is there anything that you could sort of do to um, maintain a little bit of stability, I guess, before you're able to put those things in place? Do you mean in terms of your mental well-being or...? I just... Um, you know, if, like if you're coping a, with a difficult situation, yeah, if, you, if you're adapting to some type of change, whether it be in your personal life or on the job or whatever, um, yeah, is there anything that you can do to stabilize and maintain, give yourself enough of a chance to uh, do something? I think I like talking about a stress cup, and so I love metaphors. <laughs> um, That's okay, and, it helps us understand. That's yeah. great, <laughs> and 
we have a cup and that's how much stress we can deal with. As we get older, more experienced, that cup gets bigger, but we still have its limits. So if you have a really big, you know, stressor in that cup, whether it's a, maybe a relationship breakdown, you've lost your job, you want to make sure there's no other stressors filling up that cup. Okay. And you want to be doing behaviors to try and decrease, you know, take away stress from your cup. So there's those simple things, getting enough sleep. You know, we know that our decision-making, our you know, cognitive ability, our mental health really is impacted by not getting enough sleep. The physical activity, you know, releases lots of healthy hormones that help us feel calm, relaxed, changes our perspective on challenges. You know, literally I will be so stressed about something, I go for a run and rather than it being this scary deadline, it's this exciting opportunity. It really does change your perspective. And doing other, you know, spending time with friends, family, things that make you feel calm and, you know, give you that sense of security, just trying to make the other parts of your life as secure, as stable as you can. And, you know, not trying to, you know, take away that stress with alcohol or drugs because it's just going to end up making it worse most of the time. And I guess um, similar to what we mentioned in the previous episode, just experimenting with what works for you, finding out what that is and just having that on standby for when you need it. And I, it's like having tools in your toolkit. And that's something Wayne Schwoz from Pucker Up talks about is we should all build our own, you know, mental wellbeing toolkit that we know this makes me feel good. You know, for me, that's exercise. Some people it might be time with their children. And, and this is the process of learning that we're not taught this stuff. We actually need to, you know, educate ourselves, go through the learning process, know what works so that we can, then when we find ourselves in the time of adversity, doing those things don't take much effort because they're normal and, you know, familiar to us rather than getting down to, you know, utter, you know, down bright in that red part that we talked about where you're in a crisis and you're like, okay, now I need to find these healthy behaviours to make me feel good. And I think something that can that can contribute in a way to um, the build-up of all of that stress and being able to manage that is setting goals to help manage the build-up of the process. I, I'll, I'll point the, um, put my hand up high in the air. I've never been a really big uh, goal setter, whether it's, you know, over long-term or short-term. Um, you know, it's become more important as you get older with, you know, mortgage, family, career, all that sort of stuff. But in the early days of first joining, um, uh, you know, first getting a job and earning a proper wage and all that sort of stuff, I was just happy as long as I had enough money in the bank to go out and enjoy my weekend. And, you know, whether it's a a skill that you're taught by your parents, by friends or at school or whatever, um, unless you're getting into a habit of setting those little goals and knocking off those bite-sized areas of whatever you're trying to achieve, that can contribute to everything blowing up. And I think the goal setting as well is giving you perspective of, what's ahead of you. It's so easy to feel overwhelmed by, oh my God, I've got a car loan or this massive job. And our brains are very good at always seeing the negatives. That's a instinct that's wired into us because that's much better for survival. If we didn't see the bad in everything, we, you know, when we were cavemen running away from, I don't know, some kind of animal that wanted to eat us, or we were worried about a big famine in winter, we wouldn't have survived if our brain always tried to focus on the negatives. Unfortunately, now we have a very, well, no, it's good. I'm pretty glad I'm not a caveman, 
but um, okay, woman. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we still have those very strong, you know, instincts that make us look at the negatives, um, you know, automatically. It's our brain will always look at them over the positives. I think by breaking things down into achievable goals, that takes away that, you know, catastrophizing and feeling overwhelmed and being able to see that, hey, I am capable of doing this. I am, you know, reaching this goal slowly. And that's also very good for our, you know, confidence, belief in ourselves, and, you know, and building that resilience that we talked about that makes us know, hey, I've been through those other challenges. I can get through this. Yeah. And it, it's sort of the way I try and um, I've, I've had the conversation with a couple of mates and the way I try and um, uh, explain it, they go, oh, why do you need to do all that for? I said, it's, it's like when you go to a job interview and they say, um, what's the best way to eat an elephant? And you go, it's like one bite at a time. You've got to start somewhere and all that sort of thing. If you can break a you know, difficult task up into manageable bits, uh, I, once I started doing that with the things that I do at work, it, it takes away a whole lot of um, yeah, unnecessary stress. Oh, if I, gosh, if I look back at 10 years ago or I don't know, when did <laughs> I start medicine? 15 years ago. If people told me I was going to have to go through everything I did now, there's no way I would have gone started back then. But, you know, like you say, breaking it down. And we like challenges. We like problems. You know, we'd get really bored without them, but we just get really overwhelmed by big stuff. So as you said, breaking it down, that's, you know, how we get to those goals and we get satisfaction and purpose. And purpose is so important for humans, you know. That's why we see people that win the lottery end up depressed 10 years later because they haven't got that purpose and that drive. And, you know, happiness and purpose are actually quite different. You know, sometimes when you're working on that goal, you're not that happy. And I don't have kids, but I've got nieces and nephews. And I think it's safe to say that being a parent, you're not always super happy. You're exhausted, you're sleep deprived, but at the same time, you've got so much purpose, which does give you a sense of joy. And I think being, you know, scared to do big tasks because they're overwhelming and challenging. Um, that is a shame because that's really what gives us that inner purpose and that inner satisfaction about life. But we need to have those tools to get through them, which is the resilience, the breaking it down, having that support network and all those tools in that, you know, mental health wellbeing toolbox. And it's very interesting to see how all of these different um, topics are linked together because the next thing I had on my list was the importance of a good night's sleep. And you touched on it then with sleep deprivation, sometimes brought about <laughs> for parents. And um, I don't, I don't know if it's you're able to, mon- you're able to perform on less sleep as you get older or. Less you mum, yeah. As you're yeah. older, oh, definitely for me, I uh, anecdotes, personal experiences aren't evidence, but we do know younger people. You know, in your early twenties, you need more sleep. But, and then that kind of continues as you get older. So some elderly people really only sleeping about six hours a night. Yeah. But some sleep is incredibly important. It does, has lots of roles in our body, you know, immune system roles. We make antibodies when we sleep. So, you know, if you ever have a really late night, that's often why you might get a cold a couple of days later. We know, you know, yeah. we've done studies where we sleep deprived people. We put viruses in their noses. And if you've slept less than six hours a night, you're like five times more likely to get the cold. Um, you know, and then also it has quite a recovery benefit and that's, you know, mentally and physically. So we talked about, you know, resilience is a bit like, you know, going to the gym, you give it a little stress, then you let your time to recover and that's how you get stronger. So, you know, from a physical perspective that, you know, rings true. And also from that mental, you know, perspective of mental strength, resilience, that type of thing. Um, 
We know that sleep deprivation increases your hunger hormones. Um, so if okay. you are sleep deprived all the time, you're more likely to have obesity, type 2 diabetes and heart disease. Yeah. You know, in shift workers, that's a real concern. As you know, I've done night shifts. Thankfully, I know law, not anymore, but I did night shifts for junior as a junior doctor for years and years, and it does, it wreaks havoc to your kind of metabolic health, which isn't good for your mental health either. Yeah. And there's this kind of false belief that some people think they don't need much sleep. And we look, there's been a few famous people in history that only sleep four hours a night and they're about one in 10,000 and they've got a, you know, a genetic mutation that um, impacts the kind of hormones that cause you to be awake. So they're a real rarity and the rest of us need that at least seven hours sleep a night. And if you're doing a lot of physical hard work, mentally stressful work, you might even need more seven and a half. And I'm sorry for anyone who has small children right now listening to this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I was, I was just about to say, I've, um, I remember, you know, first working, you know, on a Thursday night, go out after footy training, you know, you'd be out till two, three o'clock in the morning and then be at work a couple of hours later and it'd be like nothing happened. You know, if I was to do that now. Oh my <laughs> goodness, <laughs> yes. It's funny because we need more sleep when we're younger, but we can also seem to get by Adapt, on less yeah. sleep for a few nights. And yes, I can remember when I was young, gosh, this is making me feel old, but yeah, going out till 5am and I think getting changed and going straight to my retail job and feeling fine. And now if I have three glasses of wine on a Saturday night, the next day, I feel like a, you know, golem. Um, (laughs) Yeah. If I have, if I have a a night up with one of the kids, um, you know, if I don't go to bed by 10, 30, 11 o'clock, I'll, I'll end, I'll rock up to work with miles hanging out of my head yeah. and it's just, yeah, you, you, I, you know, quick. <laughs> and I talk about sleep, um, a little bit like physical activity in that you need to believe that you deserve to look after your body and nourish it. And that might be not watching an episode of TV and trying to, you know, get a bit more sleep because you will feel better for it. And it's like the mental health, it takes time to learn. These behaviors aren't taught. And sometimes you really actually need to put, you know, specific energy and conscious behaviors into improving your sleep in the same way we do our physical fitness. And I sleep, I think sleep is really underemphasized as a critical pillar of health. We talk about nutrition, we talk about exercise, but sleep is incredibly important for mental and physical health. And that's, you know, we've got lots of studies that back that up and it's just the, you know, 24 seven connected technology. It's hard to emphasize and make that effort. Auto playing the next episode in Netflix, you know, before you know it, you've lost track of time. And <laughs> I know my partner and I have gone back to watching the original 30 Rock series at the moment from like 2000 and something. And yes, yeah. I am a bit of a, it's hard because when you work long hours, you want to do something for yourself. And often that time at night's the only unwind time. But, you know, even if it's trying to read a book in bed or just have an extra 15, 20 minutes of sleep, um, you know, it's yeah. likely going to benefit your health. So do you think that it's just about um, setting some type of routine to say, okay, I need to be in bed by this time, Um, anything like that? Routine is really beneficial for sleep. Getting up at the same time every day is actually quite important for a normal sleep schedule. We focus on going to bed at the same time, but getting up at the same time, it's quite complex the physiology of why that's beneficial with our sleep cycle, but that's, you know, something I always recommend trying to cut down on screen time at night, especially the phone, the phone flicking, the Instagram, that type of thing. Um, the blue or, light. Yeah. Yeah. I, I even think it's more than just the blue light. I think it's the constant, um, you know, your stimulation or you're always being stimulated, trying to cool the room down. So not being too hot when you go to sleep and giving okay. yourself an extra hour, half an hour or so to wind down because 
if you go from really being really busy, then trying to hop into bed, you know, you're not going to wind down and that can impact your sleep quality and alcohol itself can also impact your sleep quality. So, you know, trying, if you're having sleeping problems or you're sleeping eight hours a night and waking up still feeling shit, you know, whether if you're drinking alcohol at night, that can impact things. And then also wondering if there could be a medical cause. Obstructive sleep apnea is really common, especially if you, you know, have a bigger neck or carry more weight around your neck. If, you know, your partner says you're a really loud snorer and you're exhausted all the time, you know, thinking whether you need to talk to your GP about sleep apnea. So we've gone a bit off on mental health now. I'm kind of going back to physical health. <laughs> no, it's okay. We're, we're talking about health in general and whatever whatever contributes to the overall picture is is um, is definitely valuable information. And I guess that that brings us to the end of uh, the end of the episode. Um, I just want again thank you very much for your time and um, you know giving up your time, especially on a, on one of your days off. Uh, that's really much appreciated. You're welcome. And, you know, I think when we talk about, and I was really grateful to come on this podcast and if I could emphasize anything to young men is that our, your mental health really is, you know, the main thing you should be focusing on. We see tragically, you know, far too much high rates of depression and anxiety and people feeling like they can't talk about them. And this is so, so common. And the only reason way cultures will change is if people feel more comfortable, you know, talking to their mates, starting conversations. And it might feel a bit uncomfortable at the start because we're not used to it. But once you break through that initial barrier, you see someone that's always depressed and you ask them, you know, what's really going on, you know, that discomfort should go pretty quickly. So we all need to work together on this because improving mental health in our society it's not a government thing. It's not a psychologist thing. It's an everybody thing and we need to work together. So, you know, I think there's some, like I said, amazing organization with great resources about mental health, you know, Movember, Beyond Blue, Pucker Up, um, who can really help us learn these practical skills of improving our own mental health, looking after other people's because, you know, it's the elephant in the room, I think at the moment. And, you know, I think, sorry, I'm, I'm going off, but you know, no, that's okay. we've got a, you know, an epidemic regarding poor mental health, just as much as we do with, you know, the COVID, COVID or metabolic health. And especially for young men, if you improve your mental health, you'll likely improve your physical health too. And, you know, your life will only get better from it. You know, someone like yourself who said they've gone, you know, worked on their mental health. I'm sure you're a much happier, more balanced person for it. And it's such a shame that stigmas and cultures are maybe preventing some people from also getting that same benefit. So it's all about continuing the conversation and looking out for each other. Couldn't have said it better myself, Daniel. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me on today. Dr. Izzy Smith, thank you very much. You have been listening to Master Plumbers Radio. Check out the Master Plumbers website at plumber.com.au or hit us up on email at podcast at plumber.com.au. You can also check us out on Facebook and Instagram.